0: There were moments where I knew I had to make a decision between coming out and walking away from everything, including my family, or just killing myself.
1: On today's episode of The Life After, we're going to hear from our friend Kendall. We've talked a lot on this show about how Christianity perpetuates shame, even though a lot of the language used within the church seems to say otherwise. We'll talk about some of the ways that religious shame can form a cycle of self-destruction, how that shame often latches onto a vice, forming a spiraling cycle that takes a great deal of work to stop. In Kendall's story, you'll hear about how religious moralism and a lot of the ignorance perpetuated in Christian culture can lead many people into extremely dark places. And often, in spite of the rhetoric, Imprisoning them rather than setting them free. I'm Chuck Parson.
2: I'm Brady Hardin. And,
1: and this, this is this The Life After. You're listening to The Life After. This is your co host, Brady Chuck- Harden. Chuck Parson.
2: Oh, was I too early? Yeah, and, that and I'm Brady. Was, I was not. And I'm Brady. Brady Harden. Brady Harden. <clears throat>
1: <clears throat> so, Brady, what do you want to talk to me about?
2: Hey, so uh, our friend Kendall <laughs> is going to be on the show today, and uh, she's going to come and talk to us about the relationship of two things that I thought were really interesting um, that we can learn from, and that is shame and addiction.
1: Yes, those are very closely related things.
2: And I've been reflecting a lot, uh, Chuck, like a boatload about... Um, shame and like how much of a factor that played into me being a evangelical growing up because I realized like as kids when they would tell us the stories of heaven and hell and all of these different things they didn't have evidence for any of it you know right um, and you look at evangelicals and stuff today like the ones that I respect and that I'm friends with you know I look at their lives and it's like they they be- everything that they believe and do is normal except for what they believe in Christianity and it's none of it has evidence everything else has evidence every, everything you can see, you can understand. You there's like whatever. But when it comes to what they believe about heaven, hell, the miracles, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the Old Testament, and all of that, there just is no evidence. And so I got to thinking, like, how do they make us believe that stuff if there's no evidence?
1: Right. And the two
2: answers to me are fear,
1: yes, of hell, uh-huh.
2: and shame, which then ties into each other because it's like I wouldn't believe in hell unless I believed that I deserved it
1: yeah yeah uh-huh. and so like yeah, the, yeah you
2: grew the, up different than i did what did you guys do about believing in hell and who deserves it and um uh yeah so
1: that? i was uh i was uh, i grew up in a pretty um a pretty i guess you could say populist evangelical church of mm-hmm. five thousand plus people you know so it was uh uh i, I didn't have the harsh sort of like Uh, you know, it was basically like, if you've accepted Jesus, you're not going to hell. Like hell wasn't really the, the emphasis, right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but there's still a, you can have shame and the need for salvation and conviction, uh, as a, as sort of a recurring theme without hell, you know, Mm uh, you don't have to have, you don't have to have the fear of eternal punishment, to, to, you know, feel like you need salvation. You, you know, you, uh, you need, uh, self reflect, like guided self-reflection, I guess is maybe a way to put it like, Hey, do you feel, you know, like somebody gives a, a really convicting speech about what God expects of us and, uh, and then sort of, you know, follows that up with, um, and do you feel in your heart that you need to ask Jesus into your life? To help you with these things, you know, right? Like whether so, yours it's,
2: was more focused on like <clears throat> the present, like yeah, things that you need help with for mm-hmm. right now. Okay. Well, it was
1: you know, it was it was salvation from hell. That mm-hmm. was that was it. But it was sort of like once you cross that barrier, you didn't really have to worry about it anymore. You know? I don't know. I, I've just been
2: thinking a lot about hell and how crazy, strange that belief system is that we were taught. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell was meant for the the devil and angels but somehow god had his arm twisted by the own rule, his own rules that he created that mm-hmm, now he has to mm-hmm. send people there and it's like people live to be you know 80 years old but they have to be punished for forever and ever because the god that they send against is infinite so their punishment has to be infinite right right,
1: right. and like then i well, got to thinking yeah, about yeah, just hell
2: true. and it in general and it's like the people in hell have eternal life god had to create a special type of eternal life for them uh-huh. That just allows them to be conscious, yeah, yeah, yeah. of burning forever,
1: right? Yeah, and I mean, it, that's fucked up. It's it's weird in like, uh, it's not, it's arguably not really biblical. Also, you know, it's it's like it's fan like, fiction. It's I think it is kind of like fan fiction. I think agree. eternal conscious torment is a relatively, it's a recent development in the Christian world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about the nature of hell before that because the Bible's pretty ambiguous about it. Yeah. Um, um, there's, you know, there are a lot of, there were a lot of annihilationists. They just believed if you didn't have salvation, that you would just cease to exist. Like kind of like um, an execution. Yeah, style. and yeah. actually, until uh, until the uh, the Enlightenment, um, until you know uh, Jonathan Edwards and all those and all those fellows started taking over the theological discussion, um, the idea of ultimate reconciliation was actually pretty pretty prevalent. The idea that God would ultimately just redeem everybody, um, mm. to, in, in, to heaven. Well, then there was this belief in sort of like a period of, of, uh, of, of like redemptive punishment sort of, okay. You know? um, sort of like our prison system should be not like it is like not a punitive, uh, not a punitive punishment, but a punishment with the intent of restoration. Right. Um,
2: so they would have like <clears throat> a gym and a nice library.
1: Yeah, may, yeah, maybe okay. something like that. I mean, prisons have those too, and they still punitive. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> but their
2: but their libraries are pretty uh, puny.
1: Yeah, punitive. Sorry, <laughs> Continue. that was really bad, Brady. I Thanks. think I'm going to edit that joke out. Aw. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so so shame. It's a you're right. The the belief system needs it. It requires shame because
2: my my belief system. You know, being of... A five point calvinist and also you just even southern baptist uh we put such an emphasis on hell and such an emphasis on how shameful people are and how shamed we all should be that we've we've unknowingly sinned against god but then also we believe that it's not even your sin it's just that you were born human that you were born mm-hmm. in the race of adam yeah that you know there's two races the uh, who was it that tweeted about this recently that guy who looks like a goat Kinham. ham uh, he <laughs> He te- he uh, tweeted about that not too long ago that there's two races of man. There's those who are in Adam and oh, those who yeah. are in Christ. Yeah, that's he was what we talking believed.
1: about he was referring to like Black Lives Matter. Or something oh, God, it's like there's he, really only two races. There's only
2: two races. <clears throat> I'm gonna be completely ignorant on purpose so I don't have to acknowledge what you're saying. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, but we, we had put such an emphasis on that, that in my my belief system that you know if we were born a human, if we were born in the in the, the, the race of Adam, then we deserve hell. And there was just just such a shame about that. And, and I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, if God created these things, these, these people, and, and literally none of them were good,
1: <laughs> yeah. who
2: sucks at their job more, <laughs> you know? And, and, like, if, yeah, and yeah, God, yeah. if you didn't want people to sin, why did you put the only one fucking means of sinning right next to where they live?
1: Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a philosophical debate that we could get into. We could talk about Kierkegaard's The Priest, if anybody out there is familiar with that. Uh, The cluelessness in Brady's eyes says there's. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. Say that name again? I'm not going to get into that. It's the uh, Kierkegaard? Soren Kierkegaard? Christ Almighty, Brady. Okay. uh, He's the guy
2: who was in it, right? He played the clown. (laughs)
1: Never, well let's uh, I'm gonna uh, and his
2: brother was in that vampire <laughs> show Just
1: kidding. no no no, okay. no Brady anyway so so I've I've talked about this on the show before uh, uh, and briefly I don't know how much I got into it but um, there is a there's shame is a cycle right mm-hmm. so so in religion and I th- I think that the the uh, the addiction cycle applies to Uh, The the way that people keep keep uh, the way that indoctrination keeps people inside a belief system, particularly within Christianity, is very similar to the addiction cycle. Um, And so you feel bad. You are convicted uh, because God expects a certain thing, a certain you to behave a certain way. Um, You do that thing because you're a human and the standards are ridiculous and then you need god to get back to a point where you feel okay about yourself um but it's the same god that makes you feel the shame in the first place so you're coming full circle right so you feel shame because of god you do the thing you repent return to god and then god makes you feel shame again and then that's how that's how we have this like and for some people that that snowballs and it turns into a big thing and people end up feeling really awful about themselves and i really i really think that it's i really think there's a Uh, I think in Christianity, there's this belief that you can't love yourself without God, without God's love or without having a a relationship with God and that it's through God that you learn to love yourself. But I honestly believe that because of that shame cycle, it's impossible to learn to love yourself.
2: You know what I realized recently is that um, the same year that I realized that I was that I came to terms that I was gay, that I was attracted to men to a point where it's like, okay, this is going to be a thing for the rest of my life, you know, was also the same year that I committed myself to the ministry that i made a uh-huh. decision that i was going to be a pastor when i get older and so i realized that um it was the same cycle for me um because you, you you talk a lot about your dependency on pornography mm-hmm. um mine was with being gay which also had you know the pornography involved with that as well of trying to figure out my sexuality realizing that i'm attracted to men being attracted to them and so i would go if i looked at porn i did not not allow myself to eat the next day like i would i would Oh God. Fast. And then I also had like rubber bands that I would snap on my wrist, Uh like uh whatever. A lot of negative
1: reinforcement.
2: Yeah. And so there was a lot of like the shame that would come through and I'd feel so bad. I would think, you know, here I am sinning. So I, I'm not showing the fruit of the spirit. God isn't taking this away from me, but God doesn't like sin. So why Mm -hmm. isn't he answering my prayer? Mm -hmm. You know, this seems like it'd be part of his will. And just like begging and thinking normal people don't have to beg God this much. Mm -hmm. Normal people don't have to pray this much. And so Again, in whenever mm-hmm. I'd fall, you know, so I'd, I'd even try to make deals with God of like, um, okay, if I can abstain for this long, can I have a girlfriend or something, mm-hmm. you know, like that. And like, try to make these deals, but all it did was just give more and more and more. and more. You
1: know, worship. yeah, there's uh the part of the reason that it works is because there's a sort of a promise of personal progress mm-hmm. that it's part of the, the, the Christian system. Like there's like if you accept God and you follow God, you're going to move from point A to point B as a person in whatever that thing is that you're, that you're struggling with. The reason that you quote unquote came to the cross in the first place is going to diminish over time, but it it just literally doesn't work at all. Right. I mean, it, it, it works for some people, but I think that's because of external factors that have nothing to do with the religion itself. Um, and and so everybody not everybody but most people that are really serious about the religion get to a point where they hit a wall and they realize that they're never going to they're never going to get over this thing so they just get caught in that cycle of shame and for you it was homosexuality for me it was pornography and it was like that's when i had to exit you know that's when i had to dip out because it was like oh this is not this system did not serve me in the way that i it was told that it it would it just got me to a a point where i was caught in a cycle
2: and i look at even i don't don't know what should be my major what should be my minor but like i feel like i went to university for shame and i uh let's say i minored in homosexuality okay okay (laughs) but i but when my in my faith i majored in just being human Mm -hmm. I mean, we had such an emphasis that all people deserve hell. Mm -hmm. All of them, you know, deserve to go there. If somebody didn't hear the gospel and they, of course they deserve to go to hell. And I I think that it became so ingrained that we don't understand how absurd that is and, and the, how big it is. It is such an infinitely big thing to teach people Mm -hmm. that all people have sinned and they all deserve to burn forever. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just normal talk for us,
1: right? right but if we right.
2: really think about the implications of what we're saying, and, it's, and yeah, it's really look at people yeah. when we say it. um, It's so damaging, yeah, 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 and insane. And it's like if you can't get people to believe something with evidence, then you've got to scare them or make them feel like shit about themselves, so that they feel like they deserve what you're teaching.
1: Right, them. and it's not most people don't even realize that they're doing that because they, they're caught in the same cycle themselves every pastor believes the same you know that same thing right and they're just in that same system uh so anyway we're gonna uh we're gonna talk to our guest kendall and uh we're gonna get into uh some of the yeah speaking of shame
2: addictions and homosexuality
1: yeah right we're gonna get into that uh we're gonna get into more detail into that cycle and how that works and then uh, hit on some other really rough things about gr- about being gay in the church, right?
2: Hashtag diversity.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it. Why are you trying to sell a newspaper on our podcast?
2: I'm not. I'm telling our listeners about the blog. Did you know that the podcast is only one of the themes that we produce?
1: Yes. We also have a blog on thelifeafter.org with posts about starting over after religious trauma. But don't you think you're being a little extra?
2: I am extra. And you can read all about it on thelifeafter.org.
1: Ba-dum-bum.
2: Hey, welcome back. Uh, This is Brady. We've got our friend Kindle here. Hi, guys. Hey, there's Kindle. Kindle, before we get started, I want to do a couple of rapid fire questions of what your experience was like um, as a lesbian growing up in church. Let's do it. Uh, Question number one. uh, Did you ever read Captivating? If so, how did you feel about it as a lesbian?
0: Uh, If I did read it, I was either... Drunk high or blocked it out because it does not (laughs) register on my radar at all. Okay, good.
2: Uh, I think that's a good question. Uh, Number two, like what about other things with like Dr. James Dobson? Uh, Did you get Brio magazine?
0: No, so no. my my background is actually fairly liturgical. Um, I grew up very Lutheran for about eighteen years, and then when I went away to school, ironically, the same year that I met my first girlfriend, joined Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Campus Crusade for Christ. Did and you
2: and your girlfriend move in together?
0: No, because she had a boyfriend, so we weren't actually dating. No. Oh wow. Yes. We were just communicating on a very deep level.
1: Mm. <laughs> I know what that's code for. <laughs>
2: uh third question uh last and we'll get into the interview uh out of the original members of point of grace which one
1: was <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: god. um you know i i've got to be honest i'm really happy to say i have no opinion on that at all
2: you don't do you N- know their names or anything no i okay, didn't well, really
0: follow oh oh god we've got there we go okay we've okay. got heather all right, so I'm Denise. not into redhead, so I can tell you right now that that that's Terry, Terry is out or Shelley. That what? name is pretty. Well, Terry, that's sad
2: because she just left the band after this picture because she had her fourth child. Okay. So, out of these women, which one is the most? <sighs> Got it going on.
0: Well, this okay. First of all, this photo. I was gonna say 1995, but it says 2003, 2003. on it. Yeah. So. Um, I'm loving the the frosted blonde tips we've got uh-huh. going on here
2: which woman is that,
0: is that um, that's well De- actually denise and, denise and Shelley both. yeah oh, okay. yeah um, denise's
1: got the the uh, west county mall she does uh, mm. or the mus county mom haircut she's uh, got the
0: I need to see your manager face yeah, oh, what yeah she's yeah. got for I sure like that haircut manager. is can yeah. I see your manager yeah, yeah. they um, all
2: still have that same face
0: actually <laughs> <laughs> well the face the haircut all of those things put together just screams take yep. me to your manager
2: my grandma saw them at a um, at a woman's conference. And okay. She referred to them as uh, those hussies wearing uh, go-go boots. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Did you ever watch... Uh, what was that? A Reba McIntyre sitcom? Yeah, Reba. This looks like the chick, the the new wife.
2: Shelly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it
0: totally looks like the new wife. I would say if I had to pick one of them, I would say Heather.
1: Heather, there we have it. Thank but, you very much. But not really your That's, type.
0: Even then, I'm just thinking to myself... I'm not that desperate. Um,
1: I would just like okay. to, I would like to affirm that as a straight male and say that I wouldn't really
2: <laughs> So none of them are keeping your candle burning.
0: No, no, nope, none, none of, of them. My,
1: no, my, my candle is, uh, is withering there's out there's a
0: whole lot of pink going on in this photo and there and is
1: no wax dripping
0: <laughs> no. hashtag basic is really the first thing that popped into my yeah. mind when i saw that no divide. i'm gonna
1: go with if the four of them walked into my bar i'd probably go with shelly if okay. i if i was like uh had to flirt for tips but nothing oh, beyond okay. that you know
0: yeah oh yeah i mean if i okay let's we'll go that route if i was if i was bartending and i had to flirt for tips i would go for heather just
1: okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh-huh okay because you can you can whirl her hair around
2: right, exactly, actually, I think in that scenario, she would be the one flirting for tips. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kindle, thank just, you so just much the for jo-
2: <laughs> Kendall, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and putting up with my abuse. Um, you grew up Lutheran, yes, tell us what that was like,
0: uh very. Christmas and Easter-ish for, okay. like, my family wasn't the Christmas and Easter family. My my mom was uh, actually very heavily involved with the youth group, and my dad was an elder at the church and served communion and all of those things. I was heavily involved with the youth group as well, um, did the confirmation thing and read the whole catechism cover to cover, and did the, the reciting and the white gown, I affirm my faith bullshit, um, which was fun. And then when I was in high school, the whole liturgical side of, of Lutheranism started to get a little bit more open, I guess. That's when we really started to see more of the, how did they call it, contemporary worship, so less hymns and more guitar and drums. Define
2: le, liturgical. I know what liturgical. it is. I, liturgical. Liturgical. And I know what it means. I can't speak. Well. Soren can you, well,
1: Kierkegaard. Can...
2: Can you define that uh, in like three seconds or less for our listeners?
0: Um, Liturgical would be more, if you think of a, a traditional Catholic service where it's a lot of reciting and a lot of back and forth between the pastor and the congregation and you say the same thing every single Sunday because memorization and reciting is how you come to believe. Yeah, yeah, a lot of psalms. a lot.
1: That's a good definition. Yeah.
2: It it's kind of creepy sometimes. It's way stuff,
1: more. It? It's, it's way more structured. I'm actually. Uh, I much prefer liturgical. I do too. To, okay. Yeah. To, that was
2: not my background at all. That that's whenever I was exposed to it, it creeped me out.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I guess if you're not familiar with it, but it's, it's actually really, even now I still like to go occasionally to like a liturgical service. It's really Really? soothing. It is soothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very serene and quiet and the, the singing is nice and the, uh, the structure is really nice, and everybody kneels. And
0: there like, is you know. structure. There's yeah, not there a lot structure. of structure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You never yeah. really wonder if someone's going to jump up and start speaking in tongues, or have to figure out when it's, to raise your hands very, in the air. It's very meditative. Very okay. yes. Very cool.
2: Um, so, I mean, a big thing that with your story and with your life is that you at around what age did you start to realize that your sexuality is probably a little different?
0: You know, hindsight's a really funny thing with this. So mm. I can look back. And see that that girl that I thought I was just really good friends with and loved hanging out with was my first crush. Um, but because I was never introduced to the concept of being gay, that wasn't something that was a possibility in my head. So I would, even as a kid and in, in pre-teen and in, in junior high would pay attention to the type of guys that other girls said they had crushes on and the posters that other girls had up in their mm-hmm. rooms. And those are the types of things that I would say, oh, I love Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I've just completely mm-hmm. dated myself for this, but...
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> hey, we all remember JTT. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Brady does. Yeah.
0: I had a, dr- I had
2: a dream um, that I was on Home Improvement oh, God. and I played Jonathan Taylor Thomas's friend. So that oh, was, like, nice. Guest star. And, His um,
1: uh, friend?
2: But I, I think I had a crush on all three of the boys in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Not so much Brad, Zachary the
1: oldest, Ty, Brian. Mm.
2: Not so much Zachary Ty Brian, but more of the youngest. I had a weird crush on Mark, and I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so you you reckon, you were trying your hardest to kind of fit in, and what, I, what yes. I just realized when you were saying that is, it is another weird thing about being gay that I think is is hard. Or um, can can I say gay for lesbian? How does that? Yeah, work? no,
0: that's I. It's so, like rectangle square. Okay, so there there are some people who might be offended by that. Okay. I personally find that labels belong on ketchup bottles, and it's a lot easier to say gay than it is to say lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, asexual, affirming. I, I mean, like all of these different vowels. If there is someone out there who falls outside of that LGBT category, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but for the sake of time in this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to go with gay.
2: Okay, so... Um- footnote from here on out when Brady or anyone else says gay we could also be including all the other initials
0: which well we not trans
2: for. not trans well not that's
1: trans yeah. what well, people uh, you can say queer okay
2: queer, queer. We well, go, let's queer. go with queer. queer right queer's the okay. easiest one and we're redeeming it we got that word yes. back we got it back <laughs> they mailed it to us yeah we opened a package we right. said this is ours there was a lot
0: of glitter in that package so what's <laughs>
2: interesting what's interesting about being queer is not having the categories that other kids are getting in their minds of mm-hmm. how to interpret the the feelings and actions that we're having. you right. know. So for, for you, you're saying that you didn't realize that you had a I didn't. I, I was in my early 20s when I had one of those sort of crushes and didn't realize they were oh, crushed yeah. until afterwards. I mean,
0: the first time that I kissed a girl, I went, what the fuck just happened and why did I like that?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and Well, you chose to like it.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, she was really cute. <laughs> no, but, but, <laughs>
2: you're right, right. You're right. I, I'm like, but this idea that when you hear Christians talk about gays choosing to be gay,
0: okay, so, how
2: mad does that make you on a scale of 1 to 10?
0: Having been on the other side of this and having because even when I was, you know, so, okay, so back up a little bit my story here. So I left the the Lutheran church, not really, I didn't leave it, but I did join an evangelical church, mostly because I was looking for more community and more relationship. And my parents' church is a lot of white haired people. I can't really have conversations with those people unless I just want to sit and now, I, and now I can, but then I couldn't, I was 18.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I was, I found the evangelical church to be much more relatable. Um, and I do think that, you know, the, the, the mastery in marketing that Hillsong did has just royally fucked an entire generation because they were so good and even now are so good at reaching a very specific age group at Mm -hmm. a time in our lives where we're questioning everything like that Mm -hmm. that 16 to 20 year old range is when we're our brains are actually wired to question our parents and decide what do I actually believe Mm. and And then they they come in
1: Justin Bieber they can have him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're unstoppable.
0: They it's have almost him. like
2: Hillsong has kidnapped Justin Bieber. It, it, or,
1: yeah. I don't I want us to know, ignore, I don't I don't know want to ignore what's happening.
0: Because
2: yeah. that pastor always has his hands on him.
1: Hashtag <laughs> save like, Justin Bieber. Yeah. Justin, we know you're listening. <laughs> we know you're out there. We're going to come for you.
0: I didn't mean it. They can't actually have you if you stop singing. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> right. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's a very susceptible age. Yes. A very, very specific marketing. Yes. So. Music.
0: So around that time, I'm realizing these feelings that I'm having. And I was talking to my quote unquote accountability partner who also struggled with homosexuality and was on the rugby team at the school. Um, She was huge, like like not fat, like massive shoulders. Um, And she was like, you know, we'll we'll pray about it. And she and I talked for hours and it kind of came around to the. You know, much like the quote unquote sin nature, you can't help this. This is a part of who you are. This is just the affliction that you have to deal with like other people have to deal with other afflictions. Mm-hmm. Like, like what mm-hmm. diabetes? Is there a pill for this?
1: Right. So, yeah, I had a I had a um I was a youth leader at a church once and the youth pastor was was trying really hard to be fairly PC because we had a lot of like fringy outcast kids in our yeah. youth group but he was also like trying to preach the, bib- the biblical view of of homosexuality and he said i struggle with heterosexuality
0: oh, oh my god please tell me how big of a struggle that is when you see a male <laughs> right. and female kissing on television yeah, and but willing great you know yeah yeah
1: and he's he's married and you know like, Gosh, it's like i'm okay, sure it's yeah. a real struggle now <laughs> anyway
0: So, so that, so that whole concept for, I guess for me was a little bit different because of how it was explained to me. I was given permission for it to not be a choice of how I felt. Mm -hmm. The choice came in on whether or not I acted out on those feelings. How practical is that? (laughs) I mean, tell an 18 year old, they can't kiss the person they're attracted to when they're in the same room and 300 miles away from their parents. And you tell me.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah well I think that's the the expectation is if you have those then you need to choose to never have sex for your whole life yes that was the whole thing and so um I would like for the people who tell us to do that to I don't know they should try it right they can't And and it's not because you're not You're not supposed to keep yourself from having
1: sex. They'll never understand that. They'll never understand that. Well,
0: no, but then they'll turn it around and say, but there was a eunuch in the Bible, and there's the theory that the eunuch actually chose to become a eunuch because he struggled with this. And then Mm -hmm. the theory of the the, the thorn and... Okay, well, cut
1: cut your penis off, dude. Right, exactly.
0: Be an example. It it wasn't a botched (laughs) circumcision. You first.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: I'll get in line right
2: behind you, buddy. But I, I think that is it is hard, and I, I don't want to like overlook that. But it just like the, the being homosexual, right? And I don't really think I've ever talked to, to a lesbian about this who came from okay. the same background, well, except for when we had brunch the other day. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it just like that experience is, is interesting, right? Uh, because just the ideas and and the how we were viewed as as, as, as sexual beings I, I heard mm-hmm. some of this recently and I thought this was really intriguing is that it's hard for straight people to look at gays or to talk about gays because we are always defined by who we're having sex with oh absolutely and so it's hard for heterosexuals to really appreciate or respect us when we talk about relationships because the thing that we have different between them and us is the way that we uh, what we have sex or how we do things privately and so right. the mind automatically goes to that and so we're not really looked at as relationships we're looked at as sex you know and um well you
0: do realize that the sodomy laws weren't constitutionally banned at the federal level until 2003 yep
2: wow no i
0: didn't know that yeah lawrence v texas was have to care about it right (laughs) yeah i mean i've been i guess i've just been out a little longer right (laughs) but no yeah well yeah i mean it's it's I actually had to check the date today because I knew it was fairly recent, and I was, you know, I was expecting mid '90s. Two thousand three was when mm-hmm. the Supreme Court I'm came actually, down with the decision I'm with Barnes v. I'm actually
1: surprised that it was even that early. Right. Well, cuz it I mean but I, I'm not
0: talking about gay marriage. I'm talking about sodomy laws. I'm talking about it yeah, being know, illegal still, to have sex still with, still with a person was, of the same sex. It was sex.
1: still taboo in 2000. I mean, in 2004, Hillary Clinton was still supported straight marriage. Like she didn't right. support gay marriage, you know. It was 2004 and she's supposed to be the, you know, the whatever kind of bullshit The liberal, liberal savior. <laughs> yeah, not not so much, but uh yeah, I mean, 2003. I, it was so taboo to talk about that in politics. I'm not. I'm not right. surprised. Right, right. I'm surprised it wasn't like two years ago. You know, it's messed up.
2: Um,
0: but I mean, people were still going to jail. That's what the whole thing went to. No, that's insane. That's yeah. why it went to the Supreme Court. Is that there were two men that were in a consensual relationship, and and i don't remember if it Put was all the republican
1: congressman in jail for oh, seriously it's <laughs> well, I mean, the only reason it passed
0: it was in texas that this <laughs> yeah, happened right. it this did happen in texas where police barged into this man's these men's house stormed into their bedroom when they suspected they might be engaged in sexual activity they were sleeping in the same bed and arrested them so these guys sued the state of texas for their sodomy laws and wow. won that's amazing. It would still be on the books if someone had not mm-hmm. sued the state of Texas. There That's were still outrageous. there were still symbolic laws as of as early as 2014. There were still 12 states that had not rescinded their sodomy laws symbolically. Wow. So I it's mean, ridiculous.
2: Here, here, you are going up to all the sexuality, or right? Being a lesbian, and and I'm assuming that you kept yourself from from kissing anyone or. Or anything. You oh were, you yeah, no,
0: perfect. I was I was full blown closet case. I you know I I had attempted to convince myself that I was bisexual, and I, and I was very fortunate. I guess well, fortunate's a poor choice of words there. Um, I was fortunate enough to have been raised to believe that I should be attracted to guys, so I could kind of figure out who I was attracted to or should have been attracted to. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I dated guys. I mean, you were married, so you know what this is like. I mean, you've got a kid, so we know. <laughs> you you did engage in sexual activity with a woman to make Hilo. Um, That's right. <laughs> you know, and so it was it was something that I guess I was just able to convince myself that I could do was date guys, mm-hmm. and I it didn't work. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: How but how did like tell me about the shame that you had coming out of that though? Like, sure. Um, it, no, it was brutal. I was actually seeing a therapist for uh, for a really long time. He it was, it was a licensed therapist through the church that I went to. So he actually did pretty legitimately solid therapy. Okay. Um, but I was, you know, at the same time still terrified to say, this is what I'm actually struggling with. So we would talk about my relationship with my parents and we would talk about my drinking and we would talk about all these different things. We never, we always just kind of danced around this topic. But every single time we got a little bit closer to figuring out what the real issue was my brain would panic and go you cannot say this to this person because you work with high school students. Mm-hmm. And this was in 2003-2004. There's no way they were going to let me continue to work with high school students if I came out. Mm-hmm. And so I remember driving down the road and I mean I was I was borderline suicidal at this point. Like there were there were moments where I knew I had to make a decision between coming out and walking away from everything including my family or just killing myself because there wasn't another viable option for me at this point point. and i remember driving down the road and y- literally yelling at the roof of my car why won't you take this from me mm-hmm. and here's the really interesting part and, and we can get into this later on but why i still have spiritual beliefs but i don't necessarily have christian beliefs clear as day this voice said peace child just love Mm, mm, that was it mm -hmm. four words peace child just love Mm. and you know now my belief is that that was my internal voice telling me to get my head out of my ass and just calm down and be myself Mm -hmm. um because there is freedom in that there's that's where the true freedom actually is not in the blood of jesus um and so i remember then going and talking to the youth pastor because i was i was heavily involved with the youth group i mean i led a bible study every single wednesday at kids houses um and saying, you know, this is, this is what I've been dealing with. And this is the decision that I've made. I've decided to actually be myself. And that's how I worded it. I've decided to be myself. It's huge. And he said, yeah, that's fine. You can't work with the kids anymore because the parents will be concerned. Mm. Now, mind you, I have spent the past 18 months in the homes of these high school students, leading Bible study with them. Parents would be upstairs or in the kitchen or they'd go run errands. There was never a concern about the safety of these children, until i decided to be myself and then all of a sudden they were in danger and i was going to abuse everyone
1: right where were all the 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 background checks on all the the catholic priests yeah (laughs) right or well i was gonna say the the kids the people leading the children's ministry you know what i mean like there's no there's no background checks
0: as long as you say you're doing what you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. doing then we're gonna believe you and the minute you decide to be authentic
2: yeah i mean my church i think my first one did do background checks but it's still, I mean, there was no way they would allow... I mean, but a gay person would not even get to the place where they would be getting their... Uh, no, oh, yeah, of course. We ran
1: your, we ran your background check, and we found a uh, sodomy charge from 2002. We,
2: <laughs> we checked your internet history. And, yeah, right. Uh, right. Um, And so that that, that was a huge part. Cause knowing you, I, I know you a little bit from the talk that we had before. And, you know, We've known right. each other for how long now? 13 yeah. years or oh, something? Oh God. But, um, the I mean,
0: Brady and I met. This is actually really funny. Brady and I met at some young adult ministry thing where I gave my testimony about struggling with homosexuality and Brady preached that night. <laughs> That's when we met. It's <laughs> the truth. Fast
2: forward. Were you
1: convicted in your heart by her testimony?
2: Um, I, th- you know what? It's funny you said it because I think that I, I think I said something, but it was very, 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 um, Ambiguous mm-hmm. that I think I may have said something like, "Oh, thank you, Kendall, for t- sharing your testimony." Um, I, I, in a lot of ways, understand what you're going through, or something. <laughs> Keep it in vain. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, but you know what? I, I preached a few times when I was going through my divorce and like at the end, very end of my, of my Christian walk. And uh, a friend of mine invited me to come preach at a thing and I, and I came in and I, I did and I was honest in it. I and mean, it was a small group. Um, Some of our mutual friends were there and I just said, here's the deal. My life is really hard right now and I am on the verge of giving all of this up and just walking away from it. That's mm, like, yeah. I, I gave the most honest, Preach, sermon. <laughs> yeah, right? I gave the most honest sermon Get that I could, that but I, because I felt dishonest because I knew I I'm in a couple of days. It could be any day. Now I'm downloading grinder, right? I'm going to start speaking to guys. I'm going to start dating guys. You know, like I'm going to give up on the shame that I'm supposed to be feeling this whole time. Uh, but when there's no outlet for anyone to be who they are, you were asking them to, Uh, completely become somebody else lie about it or harm themselves
0: and it it destroys lives like the the statistics on the queer community and suicide is astonishing the statistics on the queer community and homelessness is astonishing Mm. you know addiction and alcoholism within the community is mind-blowing i mean there's entire but, groups but that's in St. They're, Louis.
1: They're actively sinning and they're rebelling against God. Right,
0: right. Or it's because our history started off in a mob bar because it was illegal to be ourselves. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and on that, uh, we need to take a break when we get back. Kendall, I want to hear more about uh, the shame and also what that shame led you to do and kind of gave in to who you are. Okie dokie. We'll talk about that right after this. Hey Chuck, remember tithing?
1: Uh, You mean that thing in the Old Testament where they were supposed to give 10% of their money to the Levites that the modern church used to replace what Jesus taught about Christians giving all their possessions to the poor?
2: Yeah, that. Well, I think I figured out a way to make it cheaper and easier. How's that? Patreon. It's an online crowdfunding tool where people can support the art they like by automatically donating monthly amounts of money.
1: Do we have one for the life after?
2: We do. You can go to patreon.com backslash the life after, or there's a link from our website, thelifeafter.org, under the website menu.
1: I'll chuck it out. I'm not saying that.
2: You have to say chuck it out.
1: <laughs> Welcome back to the life after. We're here with our guest, Kindle.
2: Hi Kindle, before we jump back into your story, um one more rapid fire question. Okay. Uh Mary Shag Kill. Okay. Eve, Esther, Ruth. <laughs> Mary, Magdalene, Mary, mother of Jesus, the whore of Babylon.
1: Whoa.
0: Okay, hold on. You just gave me... The, you're only supposed to have three do have options. To, how many you
1: have to kill it's, fucking Mary? Or it's, just
0: one of each? It's Mary, fuck, kill, but you only get well, three I'm giving options. I'll give you more options. Okay, so Mary, I would have to go with Ruth. Okay. Fuck! Um, I said shag just for the. Uh, I
1: mean, you, you're gonna go with Mary Magdalene, right? Because she's got the skills. Well, but he Eve... also
0: gave me the option of the Horror Babylon, so now oh, I'm kind of torn. A good
1: point. Eve's
2: got a nice body.
0: We don't know that it I was mean, the original the one. Painting? Can you see those how... guys were there? Here, the original female form. I feel like evolution would have brought around a lot of improvement since then.
2: What if Eve was just like a <laughs> anamorphic rib? <laughs> 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 that I'd
0: you, like to see how an anamorphic you, rib made out of stray ladies have
1: come a long way,
0: <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the women's rib movement.
1: I the women women's rib movement. Oh
0: god, that's awful. I, I love already
1: it. had my,
2: I already know mine. Uh, I would shag Eve. Okay, um, Mary.
0: Why R- are you one? picking females?
2: uh because those are the options i gave mary ruth and then i would kill the whore of babylon because she's always on that she's on that dragon it just seems, scary. seems
1: like kind of a badass to me i think i'd marry esther and just sort of mm-hmm. take a back seat you know just like yeah do you okay do you kind of
2: like a joyce meyer thing where her husband or like a uh oprah and in her yeah you'd be steadman to mm-hmm. her
1: oprah absolutely nice
2: where we the left beard o- fits. <laughs> Where we left off with your story, um, you are no longer to work with youth. Yes. And what feelings were you feeling at that time?
0: Oh, I was devastated. I was crushed. I I felt like the one purpose, even, that I had in my life was just completely ripped away from me. I mean, I, I was working a dead-end job. Um, I was doing the party thing on the weekends. And I really didn't have anything else going for me that had a greater purpose other than just here, come by this, have a nice day. Here, come by this, have a nice day.
2: What reasons did it give you that you can't be around kids? Is there a, a fear that you're going to also be a molester? Or
0: Literally, the only thing they said was because, quote, other parents might be concerned. So I don't know if that concern is that I'm going to lead their children away from biblical teaching because of my gayness, or if I'm just going to go start screwing around with teenagers. So They, and, I, they didn't clarify, and I didn't want to know, because that would have just mm-hmm, been,
1: mm-hmm,
0: I didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. I probably would have gone off.
2: During my divorce, I don't know if I've told you this part of my story, but during my divorce, um, we'll just say a family member uh, was trying to make Arrangements where I wouldn't have my son overnights anymore because, quote, if I didn't molester her, then a friend of mine would. Um, and it's just this idea that if you're homosexual, you're debased, and if you're debased, mm-hmm. then who knows what the limits of how evil you are, what sort of horrible things you're going to mm-hmm. do sexually to other people.
0: Um, and that's why I was so offended by Kevin Spacey's Timing in, mm-hmm. in when he chose To oh, come yeah. out fuck I mean shit. like fuck that guy Seriously you don't get to deflect from being A pedophile by saying well actually I'm just gay Fuck you
2: yeah But you know so here you are and here I am working through all of this shame And feeling mm-hmm. shitty and now We feel like we have to prove to People that For whatever reason you're not Going to harm children Right in that way Um how shitty, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's
2: you already hate your sexuality.
0: Right. I already hated my sexuality. I already hated everything about myself that I couldn't help. And then this one thing that actually gave me joy and gave back because, you know, there were there were kids who they had some really legitimate struggles. I mean, mm-hmm. they kids Teenagers, that were worried about yeah. I don't and I don't I miss being a teenager. You know, but there were kids that were freaking out like full-blown panic attacks because they didn't know what they wanted to major in because of the amount of pressure their parents would put mm-hmm, on them mm-hmm. there were kids who struggled with cutting there were kids who were suicidal I mean it was literally every single day was a, a gamble of what's gonna get thrown my way today with these kids and mm-hmm. I loved every minute of it
2: yeah so what, what happened to you after that was taken out
0: in um, life? I spiraled hard I spy were really hard. And so um, this is when my going out every once in a while turned into full-blown just drink to get fucked up. Now, I I do want to preface this and say that I I definitely had um, the precursors to being an alcoholic, to being an addict. I mean, the very first time that I drank, I drank with the intention of altering my mental state. Um, not because I wanted to feel like what it was like to get drunk or not because I was curious of what it was like to get drunk, but because I knew the only way I was going to be able to have a conversation with people in a room full of alcohol was to be equally fucked up. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I was 16. That was, I mean, I was 16 years old. It wasn't like it was a premeditated thought of, I need to make sure that I alter my mental state to this level so that I can dance and be funny. It was just, once I started, there was no off switch. Mm-hmm. So that was even before the oh, whole yeah. church
2: debacle came? Okay. Oh Yeah. And you said at that time, though, you were just drinking every once in a while. Uh, Yeah,
0: I mean, it was just it was going out every once in a while. And I was able to kind of moderate, you know, I'd go out for for quote unquote girls night and we would do margaritas and they would have three. So I would have four and we would go out and they would do two shots. And so I would take three and, you know, it was very subtle. It was another never really anything that people could pick up on. Um, But I was so uncomfortable in my own skin that I made sure that when I went out, I was doing everything I could to get as numb as possible to just not feel. Whether it was the fear, the feeling of being uncomfortable with who I was and who I was attracted to, or if it was not feeling the shame of having the one thing that I loved ripped away from me. No matter what the feeling was, I just wanted it numb. I wanted it gone. And so that was my mission.
2: So your sexuality, being a lesbian, played into...
0: Oh, without question. Um, I actually ended up starting, at one point I was working for um, one of the gay bars here, or lesbian bar, I guess it was at the time. Um, and it was a place where I could, where I thought I could be myself, I should say. Um, you know, the the gay history of of the bar community is actually, it's very young. Um, it's, it's how the pride movement got started. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 1969 was when the Stonewall riots got started. So if you're, if you're a queer kid out there and you don't know what the Stonewall riots are, please look them up because it's our history and it's important to know that. But, um, basically our history started with a mob protected bar because it was a group of gay men and drag queens that paid people off to have a safe place, but the police would still raid it every once in a while to keep up appearances. Mm -hmm. And this one ninth, June 28th, 1969 They all said, you know what? Fuck this. We've had enough. We're here having a good time. We're not hurting anybody. And they rioted. Like, full-blown, rocks through windows, cars on fire, New York riot. And that is the history of of the gay rights movement, Mm -hmm. is a mob-protected bar and a violent riot. So there's a connection between... The Be founding of
1: the United States of America. Yes.
0: Oh yeah. So there's this there's this history, this forty year history of, of this shame umbrella. Yeah.
1: yeah basically.
0: Yeah. Um, that, you know, if if you were queer this is the only place you could be yourself and it just happens to be in a bar. Well, what do people do when they go to a bar? You know, that's one of the, one of the sayings in AA is, you know, you, you go to a barbershop long enough, you're going to get your hair cut. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and that's, and that's why for people who are in early sobriety, it's, it's really not recommended to go and hang out in bars for extended periods of time. Um, mm. you know, for me personally.
1: So it's not just, I mean, sort of what we're getting at is it's not just you, you there's not just a connection between alcoholism, substance abuse, and and uh, dealing with our culture's uh, poor understanding, lack of understanding of sexuality. Right. And it's, it's not just a thing for you. That is a thing. That is a thing. That's that a, is that's a widespread it's, thing. It's, a,
0: it's such a widespread thing that most major cities have... Recovery buildings for a lack of a better description. So where like AA meeting places where they have multiple meetings throughout the day, seven days a week, that is dedicated to the queer community. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are called lambda houses. That's what it was called um mm-hmm. when I was in down in Texas.
2: So I mean you, you but you even got closer to a different type of shame just outside of the culture. I mean we 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 oh, had yeah. spiritual shaming. Right. And and that like hits at a completely different level in a different angle as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this was, this was a point in my life. I mean, I I was just coming out and accepting who I was and I was seeking out gay affirming churches and still drinking heavily all the time. Um, For me, the shame was so overwhelming that even in coming out and even in finding places to go and numb my feelings and numb my emotions, um, I still was borderline suicidal because i knew that all i was doing Mm. deep down i mean this was not a conscious thought of you know kendall what you're doing is just numbing yourself so that you don't feel what you're actually feeling so why don't you go off yourself Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything like that it was just you just keep going you just keep drinking and you keep going to work and you keep screwing around with random people not that it was that many people edit that out (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so you know i this is like really big for me because i i feel like i've heard i still hear people appeal to uh like The the suicide rate in the queer community is high because they're rebelling against God. And I mentioned that earlier, right? right? And this is, I sort of wanted to wait until we got into this a little bit to like, to like go off, but it's like, no, it's because of people like you saying shit like that. Right. And you keep, uh, you keep saying like, I really like that you keep saying, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I drank so I wouldn't have to feel this feeling of being uncomfortable in my own skin. Uh, You think you might want to kill yourself because you don't feel comfortable in your own skin and then on that that day when you know i hope every queer person that i ever encounter has where they realize that there's nothing wrong with you know their right. sexuality you stop feeling that feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you don't want to kill yourself anymore you don't want to drink yourself into oblivion anymore and you don't want to abuse substances anymore and it's the the source of of that uncomfortable feeling is this religious belief that's pervasive, and it, it crosses even into, you know, uh, secular cultures still to this day for whatever reason that there's something wrong with being queer, and that is the fuel that that causes causing all of these these kids to hurt themselves uh,
0: without question. You yeah. know, and it's that honestly that that brainwashing of the church of, you know, leading me to believe, or convincing me, completely fooling me that there is no other belief system outside of Christianity that mm-hmm. could possibly be real, that actually kept me out of recovery even.
1: Mm, That's how wow. fucked up it was. Yeah.
0: Because I knew that I did not believe in the Christian version of God that I was told to believe in because there is no possible way that a loving God... Would create a being, give them an affliction that causes them to want to kill themselves, Mm -hmm. not take it away when they ask for it to be taken away, Mm -hmm. and then say, but it's okay because I love you, and eventually when you die, we'll spend forever together, but if you kill yourself, you don't get to, so hang in there, kid, (sighs) we believe in you, fuck that, so it kept me even out of AA because I knew that there was... A, at the time, what I thought was a religious element to the program, what I've come to learn is actually more of a spiritual element to the program. Uh, and what eventually ended up happening was my last night out. Um, again, another divine moment in my life where I'm sitting at a bus stop, shitfaced. I should have been raped that night. Like there was this guy just following me around, creeping on me, literally feeding me beers and other shots. And the the amount of alcohol that I consumed my last night my last night out. Honestly, should have killed me. Mm. Mm. There is there is no question about this that I should have died that night. I was actually in Colorado for work for about three months doing a short-term helping a hotel open thing. In um, the dead of winter, it was like 20 below that night. And I decided to just leave the bar and go home. And I couldn't find the bus stop, so I climbed an ice wall and found a random bus stop and Where just sat there. I was in Vail, Colorado. Okay, you're in Colorado. I was in Colorado. I was at a... Um, at a hotel working out there. Um, Beautiful place. um, But people die there every year from the cold, stupid things. I mean, they just found a dead body yesterday in the creek. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he wasn't wearing ski gear. They think he got drunk and passed out. So it's like a thing. It's a thing. Like, it's a legitimate thing out there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I, you know, I texted my friend. Well, I thought I texted my friend and said, don't come out. I'm going home. Um, Text was complete gibberish. She shows up, takes me to her house and while I'm sitting there waiting for either her or the bus, this thought of you deserve better than what you're doing to yourself. Mm. That was my wake up. That was like a a bolt of lightning going Mm. from my head straight into my heart of you deserve better than what you're doing to yourself and you know what to do about it. Mm. Um, So my friend pulled up and took me, she actually ended up taking me to her house because she was worried um, that I was going to die of alcohol poisoning. Um, And the next day I went to a meeting. And I remember sitting there and they pray some meetings, not all meetings, some meetings, this particular one did, um, opened with the Lord's prayer and I almost walked out. Mm -hmm. This is not why I'm here. I am not here for religion. I know one thing. Well, two, I cannot continue another day of my life drinking Mm -hmm. or I'm going to die. But also I know that I cannot imagine going through a single day of my life, without numbing this pain Mm, mm -hmm. and that was Mm. my stopping point that was literally a wall Mm. and so when i was talking to my first sponsor about it and i was telling her you know this isn't going to work for me because i don't believe in god and it was i was so arrogant back then i'm still extraordinarily arrogant just to give an idea of how arrogant i was back then (laughs) um and she told me i don't i don't believe you it's you can't possibly be that mad at something that you don't believe in
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was Uh like I hate you so
0: much right now Um, (laughs) because she was right and the gift that that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous gave me um, in addition to my life back um, was the ability to define for myself what I believe you know I don't have to believe Um, I could choose to be Hindu and not follow every aspect of Hinduism. I could choose to be Muslim and only follow four and not five pillars of Islam. I could, you know, I could believe whatever I want. And so I've created uh, this beautiful belief system for myself that is deeply personal and deeply meaningful and fits every aspect of my life without interference of my identity. It doesn't mess with my relationship with my partner. It doesn't interfere with my relationship with my parents. It mm. doesn't interfere with my relationship with other Christians because so, it's mine. One thing that's taught
2: in Christianity is that we are supposed to examine fruit, um, take an ideology and look at the things that it produces. And then that is, that tells us whether it's good fruit or bad or the tree is good or bad depending on the fruit that it does. Um, in your experience, what fruit came out of you being Christian?
0: Ooh. You know Christianity gave me a quality high school education because I went to a private school um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah i, I mean can, that's yeah. that's really that's really it you know is um there there were certain privileges afforded to me um because I went to a private school. there were certain privileges that were afforded to me because I believed the way that the majority of Americans believe.
2: And then now let's compare that to the fruit that you had of no longer being a Christian, allowing yourself to be free, allowing yourself to go to AA. What, what fruit came out of that?
0: It's a really interesting thing. Not, not only do I no longer want to die every single day, I love waking up every single morning, Mm. Uh, you know, Mm. every single day I know something new is going to happen Mm. and I love it it's terrifying sometimes it scares the shit out of me but every single day i know that there's going to be a new adventure and because of the program of alcoholics anonymous and the tools that i was given um there's not a single thing that i'm worried about being able to handle because i know i don't have to handle it by myself because there are a group of people who i can rely on to be honest and vulnerable with i mean you want to talk about knocking the door down a shame let's talk about actually having honest conversations with people and telling them, you know what, today, this is what I struggled with. Mm-hmm. And you know, that person can respond and have a conversation and respect yeah, your vulnerability.
1: That was one of the things in, uh, in that I have a hard time explaining to people about recovery is that like, you have not experienced uh community until you've been in a room full of addicts. Mm-hmm. Like That's you do true. not understand um, until you've you've heard like the worst of the worst of people and mm-hmm. have been able to to be there and say like you know that's not that bad right like you're like, gonna you're fine like
0: the truest example of there is no judgment in this room
1: yeah oh absolutely yeah 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 because like, it, like we would church open up. people think they understand that and it's
0: I don't judge you Jesus forgives did right, you right. hear what Sally did this weekend yeah
1: yeah yeah they just have no idea what it means to understand. Uh, the 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 inner workings of human behavior and be able to apply that to the way that we that we interact with each other. Oh, well, you
0: mean modern intellectual thought?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're hurting my head. I honey. know, I know. No, but I, mean,
0: I think there definitely is a,
2: a, a type of vulnerability and stuff that's found within like Christian communities that have accountability partners or whatever. But that it's always my experience. There was still always like a layer of dishonesty. Right. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. you'll say of. Oh Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I masturbated three times this week. I looked at porn, but I'm, you know, I'm really trying to get better and all of this. You know what I mean? Like it's it's still having like the shaming aspect of that. You still have to shame yourself. Uh Here's my question. How did your
0: accountability partner respond?
2: It was weird for me because, you know, I I had a, a, I'm only thinking of like one specific accountability partner that I had, but he was straight. And so when I would talk (laughs) about my sexuality, like a lot of times I think, I don't know if I was open to him about being gay, or I, I assume that he could probably figure some things out. What,
0: but I, was, what I mean, though, is when when I say, how did he respond? Was it, you know, here's the penance that you have to do. Here's the prayer that you should pray. This no, is- he
2: had no reason. He, he was another s- seventh grader.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and he's probably yeah, yeah. thinking to himself, I did too. Right. Yeah. I mean, more than probably... You know, right.
1: Like, oh, my favorite part of Accountability Partners was that uh, when you first start meeting with each other and you're like, yeah, you know, I sometimes I struggle I, with like being mean and right. uh, everybody every dude is thinking like I jerk off constantly, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like and who's going to say it first? Right. <laughs> right.
2: And you're like, do I have time between now and the service <laughs> to go? But, you know, um, we need to take a break in just a second. But I, something you said it kind of sparked something in my head. And that's this week I've I've kind of come to realize that um, I have been kind of needing to figure out a way to mourn uh, gay Christian Brady. Okay. Because he's dead. He's gone. Right. You know, but you know what's weird is that um, I look back and I have to give myself credit for this, and I, and I don't want to sound arrogant or whatever. But, um, I did Christianity so well, and I did what I was supposed to do. I kept myself from touching any guys, from doing anything sexual, um, and and I and I did what I was supposed to do. I found a woman that I was at, like legitimately attracted to. I, I went. I started a family and all of that, and and. They fucked everything up, to right. be honest. But but the fact that I did fourteen years to a faithful religion and it means absolutely nothing to nobody anymore. Because they dismissed me now because I am out and that, you know, I'm not part of the religion. Um and I I'm kind of ashamed that I did that to myself for fourteen years. But but there's still like a part of me this week that I realized like I need to give myself credit that I stuck with what I believed in. What I believed in was wrong, and I see that now, but with the limited knowledge I had... Um, and I think that we, like a lot of our listeners, were are very, very, very faithful Christians that whenever they talk to people who are Christians and they say, yeah, I was part of the faith for 20 years, uh, in that Christian's mind, they're dismissing them mm-hmm. completely because they've left the faith. Right. Because they're thinking, well, obviously you didn't really, you weren't that, you weren't as faithful as you needed to be or whatever.
0: We'll wait uh, for you to come back to the fold and then we'll roast a lamb and have a party.
2: Right. Right. but But it's they're from the background that I have, at least we were taught to just dismiss people who have right. the faith and dismiss people who are not Christians. And, and I come to realize that like, no, they're, they're, gay Brady who stayed faithful to his, his faith deserves, deserves some
0: credit. Well, and here's the reason that I asked you that question about your accountability partner, because I've found better community within a group of drunks than I've ever found within a church mm-hmm. because If I go to my sponsor and say, hey, this is the thing that I fucked up with this week, she's going to say a variety of things, one of which might be something as bold and honest as how many times are you going to make the same decision over and over again? Like you're you are making a conscious choice to do this. Mm -hmm. So continue doing it or stop, but stop bitching. Mm -hmm. Or she could say you realize that you're human and this is part of being human. Like, I'm sorry that you're mm-hmm. struggling with this, but then it's, it's actually okay that you're struggling with this. This mm-hmm. is not a crisis. This is not the end of the world. She may say something as simple as, yeah, that's completely normal and not bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: You know, there's, there is literally no judgment, but there is honesty. And that is mm-hmm. the one thing that I never found in a church
1: mm-hmm.
0: ever. Anywhere, whether I was Lutheran or evangelical or going to a Southern Baptist church.
1: Yeah, the standard for the standard for, uh, for honesty in church is very low. He like, set
0: the bar, I mean, I really. I feel
1: like that was, uh, he was just being really honest and straight and was like, <laughs> no, <he laughs> no idea. Master bullshitter. We need to take a break. When we get back.
0: We're going to talk about Kendall's
2: life now.
1: The life we'll after. What she's doing. After this, do you have a story you want to tell us?
2: Or a question you want answered?
1: Do you need advice on how to handle family members who are upset at you because you're wrestling with your beliefs or leaving your religion?
2: Have you experienced some weird religious shit that you need to tell people that might actually get it?
1: Then contact us. Go to thelifeafter.org, all one word, and click the Contact Us page.
2: Or Facebook us at facebook.com backslash thelifeafterorg.
1: Or email us at info at thelifeafter.org. We would love to hear, hear from... Let's do it together. Okay. One, two, three. We'd, We'd love, love to hear, hear from you.
2: you. Or when you email us, send us a voice recording. We really like that too. Welcome back to The Life After. This is Brady Kendall and...
1: Chuck Parson.
2: Hi, <laughs> guys. Um, okay, so where we were, uh, you... How long were you in AA or how long are you let me let me rephrase it how long have you been sober
0: i have been sober since february 24th of 2011 so almost seven years uh
2: that's my birthday by the way
0: oh see i picked a really good day i actually had you in mind oh that's beautiful <laughs> not sure <laughs> um
2: okay so you've been
0: sober for don't
1: six feed
2: years. his
0: ego yeah six I years know. six years 11 months awesome
2: and would you say your life is better now or? <laughs> <laughs> Dramatically. I
0: mean, you know, I really do miss waking up with a hangover. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, everything about uh, my life is is so much better. I mean, just the fact that I can sit alone with my own thoughts and not panic mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you had to say what helped you the most, okay, if you had to say... Um, here are the three things, three reasons why I'm sober, the three main reasons or something like that. Okay. W- what would you answer that with?
0: You mean in terms of like, what is more benefit, like what is better in my life or what's, I mean, what's the context here? Kind of what your driving force was. I mean, I understand the 12 step program. Sure. Oh, no, 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 no one likes doing the 12 steps. That's, that is not an issue. Let me, let me start off. The 12 so, steps
1: are not fun. No, no, that's not fun. No,
0: no, they're, they're not at all. Um, if you're out there and you're struggling, that doesn't mean don't do them, um, because they will save your life. The, the number one reason why I got sober is because at the end of the day, even at my lowest, no matter how miserable I was and how suicidal, how close I got to actually taking my own life. Um, at the end of the day, I just didn't want to die. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a really unfortunate when a person makes the decision to get sober. Um, it's, it's not because they love their life. There's not a single person who walks into a program of recovery, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, you know, some other affliction. Um, and on their very first day of sobriety, that is the worst day of their life. Mm. You know, that is um, that you you do not get any lower than that without being lowered into the ground.
2: Would you use the phrase uh,
0: like
2: rock bottom like that was your rock
0: bottom? Yeah. You know, I, I personally don't like that phrase specifically. So when a person walks into a program of recovery, whether it's, it's from alcohol or from, from drugs, um, it, it really is the, that very first day is the worst day of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, For me, personally, at least, it was. You know, you you don't get any more uncomfortable than being completely dry with absolutely no mind altering substance in your body, and having every thought and every feeling and every emotion that you have been avoiding for however many years it's been, yep. very present all at once. Mm-hmm. And then you walk into a full room full of strangers and say, "I need help," and you have no other choice but to be that vulnerable.
2: If there was a listener that's listening to you today, whether they're Christian or not, mm-hmm. and they're close or
0: at that point,
2: mm-hmm. what
0: would you say to them? Don't give up. Because as as hard as that first day was, as painful as that first day was, I am eternally grateful for that first day for a, for a number of reasons. First and foremost, because I am alive today and because I am able to Um, you know, to stand beside other alcoholics who are struggling, whether they're still actively using or not. Um, you know, anyone who is willing to say that I would like to stop using, um, I'm willing to stand with them and have a conversation with them and tell them where they need to go. Um, but also because remembering where I was allows me to see how far I've come and Mm -hmm. that gives me hope because I should not be alive. There's that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to is I should not have survived. Mm -hmm. It's
2: it's kind of cool too cuz you you have two ways of looking at that. Mm-hmm. You can you can look at your sobriety and be like, "Damn, I've come a long way." But you can also see with the shame and the indoctrination that you had of the self-hatred for being a lesbian, mm-hmm. uh you can look at that and be like, "Damn, look how far I've come." Right. And I've come to that realization recently too of just um I have so much I I don't just have like self-acceptance anymore. I have also a pride of going through the things that I went through and you know what I mean? Like, right. I feel like because we had so much shame and lack of love for ourselves, mm-hmm. I mean, cause that's what it was. We we were taught to not trust or like who we were right. or our sexuality, a uh, part of who we are. Uh, but now because of all that's gone, I have an even deeper, Confidence and trust in myself that I normally wouldn't have had if I didn't go through really crazy obstacles. Right. Um, what does your future look like? What are you planning on doing?
0: So, right now, um, the universe about a year ago gave me a really unexpected gift. So, I, I left the hotel that I was working for and started working for a different hotel company in Colorado Springs. And my team of turndown attendants is mostly high school students. So you're working with high school students all over again, seven years. Well, almost 15 years later, I'm back with high school students and it is phenomenal um, because I have a group of kids that um, for for one, I'm in a position now because they work for me where I don't have to worry about parental interference and being told that well, they can't work today because they have school. Your, your kid has a job and we scheduled them so they need to show up. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't I have don't have to worry about the parental element. Um, not that I don't take what's best for the kid into consideration, um, but I don't have to worry about that interference. Um, but also, I, you know, I have teenagers that trust me
2: mm-hmm.
0: with really big stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a 16 a year old girl come to me because she was pregnant and she didn't know what to do with that. Um, and it's, you know, being in, in a work environment, a very, very thin line to toe um, yeah. But I was able to navigate that with her and, and she and her family were, in, you know, ultimately were the ones that made a decision to to proceed how they chose to proceed. Um, I have one who she deals with self-harm, you know, and she's been hospitalized in the past and she really deeply struggles with it. Um, and just being able to have these conversations with her and say, look, you know, depression is very real. It is a chemical imbalance in your brain what you are feeling may not always be real, and that sucks, mm-hmm. right? Um, to just be that honest with with these kids and not bullshit them and say you'll get better, it'll be fine. Like the the emotions that teenagers feel are so much more intense than the average adult, um, just because of biology. You know, the physiology of the brain is is really interesting. You know, the whole frontal lobe communicating with the amygdala i don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. the with oh, the yeah. science of that and the whole reason that you get a discount at 25 with your car insurance is because your frontal lobe is fully developed at that point mm-hmm. meaning at 16 years old you do not have the capacity to control your impulses as an adult would yeah, i remember
2: mm-hmm. i remember
0: right and so yeah i know uh, brady's like ah, i was there <laughs> you know so for them to to be told, you know, this is not a pass. This doesn't mean you can go out and do whatever you want and then say, well, my frontal lobe's not fully developed yet, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's not a pass. That What that means is you have permission to slow down and take longer to make decisions and actually ask people, what do you think about this?
2: So you're getting the same sort of fulfillment you were getting before yes. now, but in a different aspect. In a different
0: aspect. And it, and it has reignited a flame in me, and I, I actually do plan on um, returning to school and, and getting a, some sort of... A degree with a lot of initials behind it that will allow me to work with with kids full-time
2: cool so you're able to go back to redeem what was taken from you
0: yeah fuck that i get what i want <laughs> you know the church the church said you can't do this and i said screw you guys um in
2: aa uh you all talk about a higher power yes that's, that's on step three
0: yes well that's, that's the first time it's introduced
2: okay and you um and several times this interview have used the uh the 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 title the universe yes can you explain a little bit what your higher power
0: is person sure so when i first entered into aa and was introduced to the concept of higher power um i i was really frustrated and really struggling with you know having that be called god Mm -hmm. um even though it you know in in the literature and in the steps it does say that um and i was given permission for it to be the group Mm-hmm. um and so you know for it can
1: be a cab
0: <clears throat> yeah i mean it can be a doorknob i've heard of yep. people who use a doorknob, the doorknob. as a higher power and i said well, what do you mean they said well you know a doorknob serves a function and it performs its function and that for where i was when i first walked in these doors was higher than my ability i did not mm-hmm. perform my function in life and the doorknob did so mm-hmm. the doorknob became my higher power because it showed up uh-huh. when i turned the knob it was that simple so it's like a concept for yes the, yeah Yes. So for me, initially, it was the group because it was a group of people who collectively were able to not use alcohol. And I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And by having the group as my higher power, it allowed me to be vulnerable with a group of people that I normally would not have chosen to be vulnerable with. And it allowed me to share with my sponsor things that I was really deeply struggling with. And, you know, it allowed me to trust other humans. And I learned you know, even within even within the rooms and even within AA, there are there are some people who are not deserving of my trust, um, and I get to make that decision. I get to set those boundaries for myself. Now, as I've as I've grown and as I've matured and as I've progressed through the program, my power looks a little bit different than it did in the beginning, as it does for most people. Um, for me now, it's more of a universal power. Um, there is something out there that it's it's not a benevolent deity that sees every waking move that I make and cares about it, it's more of a positive energy that I choose to actively participate in. And because of that, I'm able to be a part of the ripple
2: effect. That's cool. I think if I had to choose a higher power right now, um, mine would be more science based but also I would maybe even call mine the universe honestly because like the way that I look at it now is I recognize that evolution is true that it you know is the progression of how things are but I also see that everything is is growing and is building on top of each other and it's that evolution is a it's a direction where things are growing and are becoming more complex and more um adapted to what where they are and so I I look at that just that direction of progress as kind of like, in a sense, could be like a higher power. It's mine's very scientific based. Also, I look at it as um, uh, people who have empathy Mm -hmm. that I look at that that empathy that are in people, and I and I and I look at that as in in a way a higher power. It's a thing that binds good people together that they care about others, and I think that that's that's something that's worth putting trust in in one way or another yes. in a way completely different than I would in religion and I'm not at all in danger of indoctrination or <laughs> self-shaming or anything. Right. And um I think that it's it's good and it's okay for people that if they're mm-hmm. comfortable with that sort of going back to a type of spirituality um, that doesn't create dogma. It doesn't, you know, it right. doesn't uh, conflict with the responsibilities of teaching and believing. Mm-hmm. Um, take responsibility for what you do and say. And um, I, I don't see anything alarming about that at all or yeah. concerning.
0: Well, and I think that's that's one of the gifts that the program has given me is to actually explore what I believe, because for so many years I was told because you identify as a Christian, This is what you believe. And because you identify as a Christian, this is who you should vote for. And because you are a Christian, this is whatever. Um, And, and now the freedom is, you know, this, this is my belief system for today and tomorrow based on my experiences, it may look entirely different. Mm -hmm. And that's completely fine because that's what I needed to be in that moment. Mm
2: -hmm. I'm so glad you got out of this shame spiral that was creating addictions. I'm so glad you got out of the addictions. Like that's huge. Uh, when I first came out, um, I drank a lot, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, it could have very easily become a problem for me because mm-hmm. that genetically within my family, like addictions are, it's a thing, you know. And um, I'm very grateful that that shame cycle stopped in time for me, you yeah. know. Um, but I mean, very easily, I, it could have been a different story.
0: Well, and what's interesting about that is, is I find myself now. Grateful for my alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, because before I even before I was drinking, I did not have a concept of how to own my mistakes. I didn't have a concept of how to actually say yes, I did this wrong or. You know here's how to make amends versus how to apologize, and what the difference between those two things looks like and um the the very simple aspects of life that most people just innately know how to do or have been taught how to do by their parents. I didn't have that toolbox.
2: help me understand the difference between amends and apologies,
0: <clears throat> okay um, so I punch you in the face right okay I, okay, and okay. i and I break your nose, okay, right, and you have to go to the hospital because I've broken your nose, mm-hmm. right. Brady, I'm really sorry I messed up your face. Okay, that's an apology. That's an apology. Oh my God, I just messed up Brady's face. I need to give him a ride to the hospital. And because I am the one that punched him in the face, I'm also going to be paying his medical bills. Those are amends. Making it right versus just saying, I did wrong and I'm sorry, my bad. It's actually taking an action to make it right.
2: I feel like in my experience when I was in religion I, I don't see amends being a thing I see more of apologies well because
1: the expectation is forgiveness right? forgiveness so, is an expectation right. it's not a privilege
0: and that's part of the toxicity because the expectation is now on you Brady I'm really sorry I broke your nose you are now expected to forgive me for this egregious violent act that I have just done for no other reason than because your god tells you that I should
1: mm, wow.
0: I mean talk about abuse <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> enabling right um you know earlier when you were when you were talking about um that first day you mm-hmm. know, right uh then how challenging that is and it's like there's a, there's a lot of uh it's it's uncomfortable there's all these people around that are listening to you or are like you know or you feel like these people are are here being honest and you're like i don't know if i could ever do this And the the people in the room seem to be comfortable with it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, did I just walk into a cult? Why are these people comfortable being this honest with each other? Um, And you, you know, you, you get a feel for it and you start to, you start to warm up to it. Um, But there's this point where you begin to confront all of that shit that's in your head that that you're, that you've been avoiding, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, where you start to realize like, oh, I drink because... Uh, of all of these ancient things in my life, you know, my relationship with my parents or like that was abused when I was young or like, you know, this traumatic thing happened and I haven't confronted it yet and all that stuff and all that stuff starts to come up and you start to confront it and you start to realize that it, that it loses its power Mm -hmm. over you as you confront it. Right. And, uh, you, uh, you begin to feel, maybe for the first time in your life, a sense of pride Mm -hmm. in yourself for, for confronting that. Oh yes, definitely. For being uh, brave enough to Mm -hmm. confront the, the hardest things that you've, that you've dealt with as a person. Um, And that shame, that relentless shame and that cycle starts to, uh, starts to give way to being happy that you're Mm -hmm. alive and being, and being proud of yourself and, and learning to love yourself and embrace yourself. Um, And, you know, it's kind of like leaving religion. <laughs> it's uh, you, and and that goes back to like the the similarity of the cycle of shame and and needing forgiveness and going back to God and God making you feel shame. Uh, when you start to break that for the first time in your life, uh, there's a point where you confront it and you decide. Uh, that, that narrative about you being sinful and deserving hell or, or, you know, not being good enough for God and needing God's love to, to live up to these, like, ridiculous standards. Uh, when you start to let that narrative go, you start to feel a sense of pride in yourself. Uh, and that, that shame starts to fall away and you begin to learn to love yourself, uh, maybe for the first time in your life. Um, and that is why we're here that's why we're like doing this show you know um, well
2: and even like on a personal level that's why I'm doing the show
1: yeah I mean yeah you, you've yeah, seen yeah.
2: how many months has it been and my mental health
1: oh is is insane it's so much different
2: I feel like i I'd look mm-hmm. back at when we started making the show and when we first started interviewing people I don't even feel like the same
1: no person no, anymore no i I mean i don't I don't either in a lot of ways you know I, yeah. I, I'm living a different life now and it's awesome. So I love it. We're all well, moving forward.
2: It's to, to evolution. To
0: well, it is, and that's you know you, you put the work into it, right? And that's that's kind of the same thing when it, with with recovery from addiction is you put the work into it. You know, we say that the the steps are uncomfortable, but they're effective.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so this you know it's what so what you guys have built. Believe religion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but but what you guys have built really has become something that it's more than just you guys and a couple of microphones bitching about the church it's Damn. it's so much bigger than that yeah, yeah, yeah um because it's it's creating community where there wasn't one before there was this huge void and that was probably the hardest thing for me personally mm-hmm. you know in leaving the church is not having that community anymore yeah. as false of a community as it was mm-hmm. um not having that and and what you guys have done with this is
1: is really incredible well Thank i appreciate you. that we're trying anyway
2: well you know it's funny i appreciate that mm-hmm. that means the world to me i th- I think what I noticed for a while was we would have a lot of listeners and a lot of people that we would interview in ourselves as well, where we would say, God, I really miss the community.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really,
2: and when you have a, a group of people who were saying, I really miss the community, then just become that goddamn community. <laughs> right. Just do you it. Know? I think like, it was like a, it was like a junior high dance where we're all at the corners and nobody's wanted to be the first <laughs> to just say, hey, Dance with me. Uh-huh. You know? But I, I think that we're in this part now where we are comfortable enough to say, Hey yeah, the experiences that we had in this is enough for us to care about each other. And now we're able to have our own ethics and our own ideology and we're able to make a community about that. Yep. And um I I have so so meaningful to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed my life. And if you're listening, you are changing my life.
2: And also, he means that I do. If you're listening to this and uh, if, if you are lacking community or if you would like community, I want to invite you to uh, take a look at our Facebook page. Um, on the very top, we have an image um, inviting you to a closed secret group on our Facebook. Read the description of that. If that describes you, you are either leaving or have left toxic religion, um, and and you would like to join this closed group where people who are not in it can see cannot see that you're in it. Um, you're protected. It's a safe place. We moderate it. Uh, we make sure people are treated with respect. Uh, but in addition to it, it being a community where people are able to be there for each other, there's another way to be there for each other, and it's humor. And we're able to like share memes and funny stories. And also, I want it to be a positive group. And so I want us to at times like take a moment to reflect on how much growth we've done Um all these new people that we're meeting we haven't we didn't know a month or two ago but now we know them and they're part of our daily lives and i'm constantly checking my notifications to read what they have to say and um it's just been an amazing group of things that i think we all wanted when we were christians we're told that we couldn't have after we left the faith but then we realized oh yeah um you don't have an you don't have monopoly on on community in fact we can have a more heartfelt honest transparent community um, with diversity, you know, um, without dogma, without having a rules that if you don't meet these, you're going to be kicked out. So I want to encourage you, if that is something that your life is lacking, um, please find us on Facebook, The Life After. You'll see our little logo and everything on there. And uh, there's instructions there of how you can join that.
1: Thanks, Brady. You're welcome, Chuck. Thank you. Did
0: Thanks, you guys. Know. I had a yeah. lot of fun. This was great. Too.
1: great yeah, good this job. was a lot of fun.
2: Great job. Very solid interview.
1: Thanks everyone for listening. And always remember, if you don't go to church, Sunday is just a second Saturday. Da da do beep beep me me mean me